Hey folks, greetings from the Offensive Security Group here at Secure IT 360, coming at you with a new episode of the Cyber Threat Perspective. In this episode, we have Darius Robinson on to again talk to us about one of his passions, uh, DevSecOps and development security. And we're going to be talking about the divide between security teams, developers, leadership, things like that, and everything in between. So, Darius, welcome back on the show. And uh, I'll let you kick it off, or I'll kick it off to you to kind of talk about, you know, what we're going to talk about this episode, and, and then we'll get into it. Yeah. So, yeah, like you said, Spencer, uh, we see it often on engagements where there's this divide between development teams and security teams. And so that can often lead to a little bit of confusion. And so I guess we can kind of start off by kind of explaining both sides, because a lot of times what happens is you have the developers and they're kind of like the golden children of the uh, IT department. You know, they're creating new things that, you know, greatly benefit the company um, and, you know, ultimately kind of make money in some cases. And then you have the security team that oftentimes are, they're kind of like the redheaded stepchild and they're like, hey, you know, you know, we, we need to do this thing. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't always get traction. And so what happens is when you have that divide, um, it can lead to serious consequences, sometimes even compromise. Uh, and I think a lot of times it really just comes down to the fact that both teams misunderstand each other. Um, and so on, on one side of the house, you have development. And so, you know, they're building more complex applications. Man, some of the requirements now are kind of insane as far as what people are asking for especially in a world where it's like, not only do we need this to stay competitive, but we need it now. Uh, and so, you know, faster turnarounds, more complex. Something else I think is kind of interesting is um, a lot of times with software developers, you know, people are going to these boot camps to gain the skills and the knowledge to get a job. Very often are these boot camps saying, hey, security, you know, like this is how you securely develop this application. These are things to look out for. A lot of yeah. times it's just, hey, you have the functionality, boom. Now go get a job. Um, and so you kind of have that on the development side of the house. Alongside that, you know, you also are seeing more DevOps, which is very buzzwordy. Um, but what we know what we're seeing more and more is that developers are either A, you know, they're working more closely with the op team, which is great, or B, it just means, you know, DevOps for some places just means, yeah, our developers spin up their own architecture on their own. And while that can be great if you have a developer that knows you know, infrastructure and cloud stuff really, really well. But in a lot of cases, um, you know, they kind of lack the skill set to be able to build this infrastructure securely. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's the age old story of, you know, developer builds this amazing app, but then they make their S3 bucket public and now all the secrets are leaked. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about, uh, for those who are not kind of in the know with DevOps and DevSecOps, Give um, give a high level overview of what DevOps is and kind of what it looks like for those who who might not have DevOps really implemented in their in their organizations or their firms or maybe that they do. Uh, let's break it down from a definition standpoint of what that is. Yeah, so this is definitely a thing that is highly debated among the industry. But for me personally, when I think DevOps, um, it's kind of that shift from a more traditional IT group to where you have your developers and then every time they develop code, they kind of kick it over the fence and to an infrastructure team. That infrastructure team are, you know, they're building servers and, you know, basically taking their code, putting it out there to make it publicly available. They're kind of managing all of that. Um with the rise of more cloud resources and things of that nature, you know, you're no longer having to sit there and manage, 
you know, a web, a physical web server anymore. It's all, it's all up in the cloud. And so you see the shift to where now developers are now working more closely with the operation and infrastructure team. And ideally, you know, they're working together. They're attending the same meetings. They're doing scoping and planning. Um, and it's just, it's just a little bit more cohesion compared to, you know, it kind of being a traditional black box where neither side really knew what was going on. Yeah. And, you know, DevSecOps is is a further adaptation of that terminology, right? And there's two camps, I feel like. There's there's a camp that's like security is should be included in DevOps and you just call it DevOps because security should be included and baked in. And then there's groups that are like, no, it needs to be DevSecOps. And then there's other camps. I think there's a third camp, right? It's Sec DevOps, right? Security, then development, yeah. then operations. Yeah, uh, but kind of the, platform engineering too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but kind of the idea is bringing everybody together to move quickly, more quickly and more efficiently uh, and more securely. Yep. So you have that, you know, the development side of the house, right? But there's also the security. Um, and, and oftentimes what I think, that happens with security teams is one, they're not in the same room as the developers. Um, you know, it's a case where what happens is an application gets developed or a third party service gets implemented. And if the security team is lucky, they may get told, Hey, this thing now exists, go secure it. <laughs> um, and so that's something that often happens. Uh, and then also one of the things I noticed that with a lot of security professionals, um, you see a lack of development skills. I think we tend to focus on, you know, oh, your foundation needs to consist of systems and Active Directory and networking and all of that. And that's what people tend to navigate towards, which is awesome. We definitely need that. Um, but you'll be surprised at how many security professionals is like Python coding. Oh, no, I don't touch it. Can't yeah. do it. Um, and so it's something where I will say for our security professionals, we're definitely doing ourselves a disservice. Um, by not being able to develop. Um, uh, Spencer, we've talked about it before a little bit, but it's hard to secure something that you don't know how to administer or create. Yep. So, Exactly. And yeah. I think one of the challenges that I think we should talk about is developers coming into a legacy code base, right? You experienced this on a recent pen test where you know the application was quite old, right? And whether the development team has been there forever and they've been the ones that created it and maintain it, or you know you have a development team that's coming into a project and it's the first time they've seen it. You know they just got hired at the organization and they're working on it now and they are tasked with maintaining it and securing it. Both of those challenges with legacy code, legacy frameworks, that is a challenge too in this DevSecOps, uh, sec or development security type of conversation, right, Darius? Oh yeah, hundred uh, percent. It can be tough because you know then you run into the conversation of well, what do we do? And, you know, ultimately it comes down to risk. It comes down to money. Um, but I would definitely say, you know, if possible, man, there's nothing wrong with a good rewrite to get you off. I was, that gonna, code I was just going to say that, right? You have a couple options. One, you re yeah. re rewrite the whole thing. Yeah. Or two, maybe you can take bits or pieces out, bits or parts of it out and kind of rework those. But that, I think, is a, is a challenge to development, development security as well. 100%. But I mean, I can't imagine there's probably a lot out there of just refactored code where, yeah, it's all brand new, except for this one critical yeah. process and function that's all legacy. And, you know, yeah. there's obviously controls you can put in place to kind of lock and secure that as well. And it's hard, right? You know, many organizations have core applications that they rely on to make them their money. That's their livelihood, their organization's livelihood. And it's not always so easy just to, you know, 
lift and replace or shift, you know, pick it up one place and, you know, completely redo it in the other place. So yeah. Now, 100%, yeah. And there's definitely, I mean, there's a tons of rollouts and ways to do it for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you can do it in phases, you know, whatever works best for your company ultimately. So we've talked about kind of the current state of development, Darius, the current state of security and some of the challenges around that. Uh, I think kind of next on your list, maybe, um, and I don't want to derail it too much, but what's next on that? You know, we have these challenges, we have this current state, how do we move forward, right? How do we continue to progress security for applications, for development? And, you know, how do we move towards that more secure model? Yeah, so I think it starts with, quote unquote, shifting left. So let's let's get development. I'm sorry. Let's get security into the software development lifecycle as early as possible. So you know before you even start, you know, creating mockups and using Figma and all that, security needs to needs to be in the room in terms of like, hey, these are the requirements. So that way, when they hear the requirements, we can they can go ahead and start coming up with some of the controls and things that are going to be needed. Um, I have a. I have a kind of a, an interjection question there for you, Darius. And yeah. this is maybe showing my ignorance with applications. So mm-hmm. that it that does, please ignore me. Or if it's a silly question, you know, let me know. But why is it they call it shift left and not shift right? Huh. You know what? I really <laughs> don't have the answer to that. Uh, I guess part of it is every time I see a diagram in terms of like the software development life cycle, you know, you always see the charts. And so, you know, you always tend to see the first step of work, you know, requirement gathering and all that yeah. it's there. And then you're just going through the process. So, you know, shifting left. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's the reason, but that's actually a really good one. I'm not sure. I mean, when you think about it, shifting left makes sense to me visually because of the way most people read language, yeah. you know, left to right. And if you're shifting left, you're going towards the beginning of something. You know, that's how my brain thinks about it. But I admittedly don't know the origin of it. But uh, I just always thought that was an interesting phrase of like shift left and why it's left and not another direction or shift down or shift up or it has you know, to be that. Yeah, it has to be that. I mean, read left to right. Every diagram we see is always kind of like that. So it's definitely about integrating it towards the beginning, hundred yep. percent. So sorry for um, derailing it. That was just a funny <laughs> little thing that I thought would be interesting. Uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm curious as to what our listeners think, because maybe there is some historic, like super obscure reason that uh, I'm not aware yep. of. Yeah. Well, if you're a hardcore developer and you're listening to this, or you know, um, comment on our YouTube video or uh, comment on LinkedIn or something like that and let us know. And, you know, we'll uh, we'll share that in the next episode. Um, but also, you know, like I said, it's really just about designing, architecting, implementing security from the start. Um and so kind of how we do DevSecOps, um, so, you know, here at Security360, we, we do have DevSecOps service, is we kind of, we're there from the beginning, where, you know, we're, we're there from the design and implement, implementation phase. Um, and then ideally, even after that phase, once development begins, um, we're now doing SAS and DAS scans. So ideally, you know, we're going to catch a lot during that process. And then at the end, we do a pen test. And so... I really kind of like how we do it because if we do it right, unfortunately, it's 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 a very boring pen test. Um, but it's only because we did what we were supposed to do and we caught everything prior to. And so ultimately, it saves the clients money. Um, and I think it's it's one this is one way to kind of handle DevSecOps that I see works pretty well. Um, I think something else I kind of want to consider just just because it's on my mind 
is a lot of this stuff also applies to ops and infrastructure as well. Um, and by that, I mean best coding practices. So Spencer, you see it all the time on internals. Um, we see it in terms of a lot of these recent breaches is what happens. That threat actor gets in and, oh, look, a PowerShell script. Um, and those PowerShell scripts have credentials in them. And so, you know, secure coding practices aren't just for the development team. They're really for the entire organization. Yeah, for sure. That's something that we see, like you said, very commonly on internals. And it does come down to infrastructure teams, developers who, you know, request certain things or IT admins who implement things a certain way. And, you know, it, it really comes down to shortcuts, right? And it's easier to do it that way, right? It, it's harder. It's more work to properly secure things and use credentials securely and, you know, do that stuff properly. It's more work. It takes more time. Um, it's more frustrating when it doesn't work properly because you have to troubleshoot it and it's, it's more complex uh, in many cases. So it's harder, right? And I get why people do it that way. Um, but in doing so, it makes it much easier for attackers to just go in and you know steal things, find credentials, pivot, and pillage. So in, in that sense, it is more uh, advantageous to do it the right way the first time rather than have to go back after things have crumbled down and rebuild it all. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. So yeah, this is just my long-winded way of saying, let's build stronger teams. You know, let's let's build stronger teams. Let's work together. Um, you know, failure to do that can lead to catastrophic consequences. Uh, so like an example I have is, you know, working on an engagement. Um, this particular web app, was I was digging through the source code and I found a host, and that host hosted that host was basically a service um, for backup jobs for the application. And within those backup jobs were source code, uh, employee payroll data, um, just all this juicy stuff. And there were no access controls on it. Um, and so when we went to do the report, uh, the security team had no idea this server even existed. <laughs> and the developers were like, "Yeah, we we really need this. We can't just you know." get rid of it. And it just makes me wonder, you know, how much could have been avoided if they worked together and that yep. way the security team could have been like, wait a minute, this thing has no access controls and it's publicly available. Let's lock it down before we, you know, roll out this next version of the app. Yeah. So on that note, maybe one final thing, uh, one final question I have is what strategies or what techniques, what advice do you have for teams that are looking to kind of improve that relationship and work better together. What would be your advice? Okay. So uh, this may sound kind of cheesy, but I am a firm believer and it starts outside of the technical work. Um, it doesn't matter so, how technical you can be. So team building, you yeah. know, going paintballing together or go-karting or, uh, you know, doing stuff outside of work like that kind of stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's it, it's hard to foster those relationships and to, and to get to the point where maybe the, de the developers are like, "Hey, security guys, come to our stand up meetings," uh, and it actually be fruitful. If there's not that relationship beyond work, no one's saying you have to be best friends, but there at least needs to be a cordial relationship enough to where you know both teams feel comfortable working together. And I think also from a security perspective, you know, we have to be careful of yes, we are the security guys. Yes, we are supposed to provide, you know, the guardrails for the company, but we can sometimes go overboard to the point to where now teams don't want to work with us because they know we're going to slow their processes down. 
Right. Um, the security team so, is seen as the, the people who always say no. And instead mm-hmm. of facilitating, you know, the production of a new application or a new deployment, security is often, you know, the one saying, no, we can't do it this way. So a change in language has to be, you know, done. Exactly. So, I, I mean, with a little bit of tweaking, you know, developers being a little bit more forthcoming and inviting, you know, combine that with security teams, you know, within reason, kind of becoming a little bit more lax or at least hearing people out. Um, I think that's kind of how you get that cohesion. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, communication is something that I think a lot of people struggle with. I was just talking about this on Twitter today about how, you know, pen testers uh, generally don't, uh, you know, a, a powerful skill of pen testers to have is one who is technical and can also communicate and translate r- technical findings to risk to an organization and communicate that effectively. Right. And so part of our job as information security practitioners, whether we're pen testers or CISOs or IT admins or security admins, whatever, our part of our job is to learn how to communicate better so that we can communicate up the chain and, and demonstrate risk uh, and impact to the people in power who, who delegate and who provide resources, who help prioritize those things. So it's not just a technical game. We can't just be technical wizards. I think we do have to continually work on that communication skill so that we can you know, improve our relationships among teams and hopefully ultimately improve the security at our organizations, our clients' organizations, and you know, eventually the world. 100%. Any other questions? Any any other uh, topics or tidbits that you want to go into in this episode, Darius? No, I think I think we've hit everything. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Good. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you got some value from that. If you did, please leave us a comment on YouTube or share a comment on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever you're consuming this podcast. We'd love to hear feedback. We'd love to hear what you thought. So do give us a comment. Uh, and let us know. Uh, with that, uh, you can find us on offsec.blog. We post a lot of our content there, blogs, videos, walkthroughs, um, white papers, everything in between. And you can also find us at secureit360.com. We uh, release new episodes every Wednesday. And with that, we will see you next time.